0: Hello, my friends. I am so excited to have today Casper Kyle. He is someone I have long looked to from afar as a friend tour, even though we're just meeting today <laughs> in real time in the space time continuum. Casper is brilliant. He has such a beautiful heart inside and out. And now I'm understanding how bright his energy is as well. His mission is building a world of joyful belonging. He's the author of The Power of Ritual and the co-host of the award-winning podcast, Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. He's a ministry innovation fellow at Harvard Divinity School and the co-founder of a startup called Sacred Design Lab, which is a research and design consultancy working to create a culture of belonging and becoming. He also co-authored How We Gather with his collaborator, Angie, and just launched with Holsti his new ritual life planner. Casper, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Jenny. Wow, I that that was quite the intro. <laughs> well, you're qu- you're quite the person. So first we have to thank our mutual friend and previous guest Dev. I who, love Dev. He's the best. <laughs> who even knows how I met Dev? Some random paths crossing and when Dev and I had coffee, he told me about your work and next thing I know, I'm applying to Union Theological Seminary. <gasps> Yeah. And this what? was this was years ago. And I have looked to you ever since. You're someone that I, I every everything you did, I was like, damn, that guy is brilliant. <laughs> like, oh, that's very kind. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I ended up going on leave, so I only did a semester and a half. But the work that you and Angie did when when you were first on my radar was about mm. gathering and ritual even in secular spaces. And, you know, my passion, too, was this growing group of people who consider themselves spiritual, not religious, myself right. among them. And you were studying things like CrossFit and Soul Cycle. <laughs> so tell me how, what drew you into that arena to study gathering in that way?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, there's a short answer and a long answer. And I'll, I'll give you the longer answer, <laughs> which is that, you know, I'd grown up in England, uh, which is a much, much more secular country than than the U.S., you know 6% of people go to church on a sunday so it's it's really absent and i had really never engaged institutional religion certainly growing up as a as a young gay man you know i really thought religion was either cruel or irrelevant like it was it was it was really just not a part of my life but as i became more and more involved in um activism especially on climate change which is how i met dev <laughs> i was just trying to remember how did i meet dev but we we were both involved in the youth climate movement i started to realize that so much of what i wanted you know to see change in the world wasn't just about policies or politics but it was really the paradigm through which we understand ourselves you know are, are we individual beings you know walking through the world on our own or are we part of inherently connected systems you know are, are natural resources there for us to use Abuse, or is a forest or a river something sacred that has inherent worth and dignity? So the the way in which we frame our experience of the world shapes what we actually end up doing in it. And so I became more and more and more and more interested in religion, kind of as a tool or like a strategy for social change. So I ended up in divinity school as like a gay atheist, kind of interested in what I could learn from religion, perfect, <laughs> and, a, perfect. And, a, <laughs> right? and, and apply it elsewhere. But my experience of Div School ended up being so rich because it gave me a whole new language to to even understand my own interests. And so that focus on gathering came from my own experience of having been pretty lonely in middle school and always being very conscious of who is included and who isn't, right? Like, what is the the dynamic of this social cluster, whether it's in the workplace or, or, or in an activist movement? You know or even on the subway like <laughs> I'm always very like tuned on to how relationships are working. And as I was learning in the classroom about traditional religious congregations, I started to think about these secular places where people are gathering now. You know, whether it's fitness communities, as you said, like SoulCycle, whether it's creative groups in maker spaces, whether it's justice groups or even again the workplace, I was like, wow, there are very religious things happening in these secular places that no one really is noticing as religion? And what if we thought about these spaces as congregations? Like what, what would that help us understand about what's happening? Because, you know, people are seeking out their fitness instructor and asking, should I divorce my husband? You know, people are going to, you know, the, the person leading their maker space and talking about their mental health challenges. Um, people are raising money for each other. They're, they're you know, picking up meals to, to take to someone who's sick, uh, you know, all, all of these things that you would expect to see in a congregation were happening in these in these secular spaces. And so that's what Angie Thurston, my, my colleague, and I started to write about in this paper called How We Gather. And, and to our surprise, it really traveled, because <laughs> I think it, it, it just hit on something that a lot of people have been thinking about, but no one had kind of written down fully. Um, so it, we ended up connecting with hundreds and hundreds of these kind of community leaders, And learning about what they were doing and what they needed.
0: And then I I remember seeing the New York Times profile. The New York Times picked (laughs) that up. That happened. Yeah. (laughs) That's exciting. I was like, he he has arrived because I was already (laughs) following the paper prior to that. And then all of a sudden, I'm opening my Sunday paper and bam, there you are, you and Angie. Huge spread. It's so cool. I think, I mean, you're really putting your finger on something. and, And thank you for sharing your experience growing up. I grew up in San Francisco. So as well, like Mm. I just couldn't understand. Not to mention, I had parents of two different religions. Mm. So from a double belonging perspective, it's built in, right? Of questioning belonging, right? Um, But what you say in the book, you know, that religious traditions that were supposed to serve us have often failed. Worse, many have actively excluded Mm us. For me, I just that excluding, let's say, the gay population was like, it just didn't make any sense to me. Like, how can I be part of something that is exclusionary? And, and, and I think there are so many people who, the more connected we all are, the less people are willing to tolerate. And not everyone, we've certainly come through a very contentious election cycle, and people seem quite divided. But there's also a lot of beautiful community forming, and you were mentioning creator spaces. Hmm. Just seeing the rise of Patreon and Discord, and just connecting with very interesting communities where they're getting to know each other. They've never met in person, but they're on Zooms. They're in Discord. They're supporting each other through Patreon. It's it's it is this this new form of gathering, and as you've said, we're sort of blending. Yes, tradition with what's emergent, combining the ancient and the emergent, as you say.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, just a real life example from a community that I'm involved with, which is which is our podcast. You know, we we have more than a hundred local groups where people get together pre COVID, obviously get together in person and 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 you know study the Harry Potter books as if they were sacred, and and really orient kind of conversations around meaning and and reflection. But they also have raised tens of thousands of dollars for various different causes that we that we join up with every year. And at the beginning of COVID, they formed a mutual aid group among podcast listeners. So it really it's it's such a beautiful example of something that starts off maybe you know at one level, which is like we're fans, we're interested, and then it goes deeper and deeper, and and these kind of relationships of solidarity emerge that. I just think is a beautiful sign of a maturing community when it when it really steps up into the difficult conversations around race and racism, for example, or it steps up to to you know share cold hard cash with people who need it. So mm-hmm. yeah, I love I love seeing those new technologies actually enable forms of community that that otherwise wouldn't have been there.
0: I love how you said the just the solidarity of of helping that that's that kind of taking it further of really truly being there through action in their time of need. Not just the surface level conversation, which can be still quite deep, as we know from your Harry Potter and the Sacred Text (laughs) podcast. (laughs) I love with Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. So listeners, if you're not already subscribed, they go through the books of Harry Potter. It's not
1: a cult. It's not a cult. (laughs) (laughs) It's not a cult.
0: And there's another piece of pop culture that is sacred to you. And in certain ways, though, probably not as much for me, too, but I want to hear from you. It's not just another rom-com, it's You've Got Mail.
1: Oh, my God, I love that movie. I know.
0: <laughs> just the bookstores, the email before email was so overwhelming. Right? <laughs> Tell us, Casper, what is yeah. it about You've Got Mail that just speaks to your heart?
1: Well, I mean, there's 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 two parts to that answer. First is, like, You've Got Mail is, un, you know, just unquestionably incredible. Nora Ephron at her best. We've got we it, have it's, dogs it's a, we
0: have books ah, I know we in have computers
1: <laughs> we have great soundtracks I mean it's it's yes. fabulous but the point for me is really not so much that particular movie it's more about my relationship to the movie and that, that's what I'm really interested in is the way in which we can engage culture you know whether it's a favorite book a favorite movie a piece of music that that we can recognize our love for these things as uh kind of the, the the sparkling of the sacred that there is something there which we can pay attention to and with some rigor and some commitment and hopefully community that that the way in which we engage those pieces of cultural text as it were can become the source of a sacred practice i'm really passionate about helping us all feel uh, I guess, that, that that a spiritual life is something that is very accessible. Um, so often we think about spiritual practices as these distant or maybe even exotic and complicated things. And some of them are, right? But you really don't have to go to a super expensive retreat or a kind of monastery in Tibet to to discover your own spirituality. So I'm really passionate about helping helping us start with what is already real in our life, right? Like, what do you love? What, what What is meaningful to you? And to then build from those things, whether it's, you know, cooking a favorite dish or going for a walk around your neighborhood, like all, all of these things to me can be the foundation for a spiritual life. And so I, I turn to, you know, that particular movie, I, I think I describe it in the book as it's not a kind of, oh, what should we watch tonight kind of movie for me? It's like, I'm falling apart. I, I, I hate everyone and everything. Like, is really hard. I Like, this is the movie I'm going to turn to because I, I know that it will take me. It will honor those emotions, but it'll take me further and back, hopefully, into a slightly sunnier disposition. But I, th- I think all of us have, you know, whether it's albums we listen to or, or uh, movies that we watch that, that we know that kind of speak to, to that part of our soul somehow.
0: And then it kind of takes on its own energy of the history in your life just like any secret Mm -hmm. text, even Harry Potter for you, of course. But it's like the movie itself becomes a warm blanket, Mm -hmm. becomes imbued with meaning, marks different times of your life. That's right.
1: Well, and that's one of the things that makes ritual so effective is it's not just something that we practice once. It's in that repetition. I like to think of it as a sort of you know, kind of like time travel <laughs> because when you when you celebrate something, you know maybe it's a particular festival or a time of year. One of my favorites is May day, so the the first of May. Which I grew up celebrating because I went to a rather particular school, <laughs> a Steiner school, where you know we wore flower crowns and danced around a maypole, and <laughs> it was just the most wonderful springtime ritual. Right, this moment of like getting back outside, seeing flowers blossom, um, dancing, joy, real, real delight of spring. And every year I still celebrate it, and I try and make it to an actual maple dance, because it's not just the ritual in that moment; it connects me to all of the other times that I've practiced it, and for me, also, it goes beyond just my own life, but to this much longer tradition that goes back hundreds and hundreds of years so it's it's a way in which we yeah it kind of we 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 travel through time and we stitch together these experiences that that add layers of meaning to the kind of everyday activities so it's a it's i think it's a really powerful technology really of infusing meaning into our lives
0: on the subject of ritual and these practices it's kind of crazy and also perfectly timed of course that the power of ritual came out when it did i can't recall the exact month when did it when was june
1: yeah 2020 a couple months into it yeah yeah Yeah.
0: (laughs) as my husband would say (laughs) um Yeah. Wow. You know, right in the thick of it. And here's this book, your beautiful book on the power of ritual, turning everyday activities into soulful practices. You couldn't have known we would be in our houses every day. And talk about the feeling of falling apart, you know, before we record, you and I were both like, we're tired. So how has, what has surprised you since the book came out, given the context that it has Mm. launched into? And how have you seen these practices emerge, given that we're all still largely locked down? At the time of this recording, you and I are watching snowfall in our respective houses.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, it it, it was such a strange time. Mostly, well, I'll, I'll say again this in a couple of parts, but part one was like, this was a moment I'd been looking forward to. And, you know, like a book release and a tour and all of these big plans. And I was like, this is going to be my year, baby. Like,
0: (laughs) I had the same thought, by the way. I'm like, 2020 pivot's going to go big. Well, it's just in a way I did not...
1: I'm like, oh, that's a good lesson, universe. You know, thanks. Uh, Richard Rohr, who's this wonderful Franciscan, uh, says he prays every day for a humiliation to keep him kind of right sized within the universe. And I, was like, I love okay, Richard well. Rohr. Yeah, <laughs> definitely <And> got that.
0: <laughs> why is it that the universe and even book launches have always such a wink with them? Like, oh, oh you want to read Ritual in everyday <laughs> wink, wink. Let's to make sure no one <laughs> <take> the house <laughs> or gather oh, for that matter. And here you are, an expert as well in, oh, my on gosh. gathering. Oh well, well, and and but that's that's the the other part of the
1: story was just how, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, people really were renegotiating the rhythm of their lives. You know, obviously working from home, schooling from home, so much, so many of the the habits of the everyday in terms of commuting or or just the structure of a day had gone, and so. Uh, you know, people were going for that daily walk. They were baking bread, right? Like all of those kind of cliches. It, people were trying to create a new rhythm of life, and I think so. In the, in that sense, there was a real interest in, in in ritual making. But I think the other thing that happened over the summer, you know, was the real reckoning with the the murder of George Floyd and the continuing police brutality and and the the movement for Black Lives demanding justice. And so there was a reckoning, both from the pandemic, but also just uh, in the context of of the continuing racism that I think really, you know, pushed so many of us to to re-examine our lives again. And so that's one part maybe that sometimes gets lost in the conversations around ritual is that it's not just something nice or pleasant or decorative that we do, right? Ritual doesn't just make life more beautiful. It does do that, but rituals are also formative. So they are practices that shape us in a particular direction and 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 so we have to be careful what kind of rituals we're choosing to practice because what we practice we become um and i think in, in that sense that 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 period of reckoning which my god has only continued through through the rest of the year and into you know the the attempted fascist coup that we all lived through like we need to be very careful about what what we're choosing as our rituals in that sense. So I've I've kind of become passionate about that side of ritual making and ritual practice in a way that maybe I hadn't fully understood, even as I I was writing the book.
0: How does that tie into what you describe in the book as a rule of life? You say it's the Mm. monastic practice of a rule of life, which I know is is so much about commitment (laughs) and making things real. So tell us. Oh
1: my gosh. Yeah. So when I, I when I learned about the rule of life, I got so excited because it's like, oh, this is what I've been looking for. So, uh, you know, a, a, a rule of life is essentially a social technology that was used in monastic communities and Christian communities as a way of giving structure to how the community would live together. Cuz community is wonderful, but it's also extremely hard. So you need structures that like keep everything going um and it's it's very simply a really a set of values or or a set of uh or w- ways of being that the community agrees to right you agree to it when you enter the community and then you practice it together so often a rule of life will have maybe you know anywhere from 10 to 30 maybe even up to 60 kind of mini chapters that you can usually read out just on a page or so and it might speak to the the time that you get up in the morning or how the community prays together or how food is made and, and the dishes are done um, or how to handle conflict, right? It just addresses all of these different parts of life. And the way in which communities traditionally engage that rule of life was to read out a page every day uh, in the morning. So there's this constant reiteration of, oh, yeah, this is what we're about. This is what we've committed to. And it's just this kind of, you know, just how how water travels over stone. It kind of smooths it over over time, and it it just gives the community a shape and a structure. Um, now, of course, I don't know about you, Jenny, but I I don't live in a monastic community, and and it would be somewhat impractical given that I'm married uh, to a man. Uh, so <laughs> it, it's I can't you know take up that that very traditional practice in, in its completion. But what we can do, and this is what was so inspiring for me, was to think about well, what are the rules in my life? What are the things that I want to commit to uh, and that I have committed to, like getting married, for example, that I I really want to lift up time and time and again? So I know some couples who, for example, on their wedding anniversary, read out their vows again, right? That's another way of surfacing those commitments. So I, I try to kind of write a few rules for my own life that would help me remember why I had made these choices or that or why these things were important to me and that you know th- those ranged from things like marriage but also things like sabbath and, and making sure there's space for rest to, to keep those things at the center of my attention because otherwise they go you know to reality television and, <laughs> of, and course.
0: <laughs> of course <laughs> <Yeah>. reality television see <laughs> it's so funny you say that I mean I think we need a little bit of that too of course. Absolutely. I, I... I love RuPaul's Drag Race. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Oh man, there's so much. I I I am embarrassed and also not embarrassed to say that I've seen every episode of more than one Love Island season, oh, which is like 50 thanks. hours I'm so of TV. Off. <laughs> Birds. I didn't know the language of birds. Yeah. Oh, she's, she's Fitbird. Fit, yeah, oh my fit, God. Oh, bird.
1: <laughs> you're, you're revealing my English
0: roots here now. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, the other one I learned, but this is from Peloton, is uh, Done and Dusted. Done and Dusted. Oh, yeah. Another ride. Done that and Dusted. Is not a phrase in America? Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> no, but it is now because I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's
1: great. So like, oh, i finished that. Ah, done and Dusted. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Done and Dusted. Oh, and then, oh, the other one I learned from Love Island that I love is Bish Bash Bosh.
1: Bish, bash, bosh. Oh, <laughs> I have said that in work meetings and people What look is at it? Like
0: miscellaneous? Like, oh, mm, bish, bash, bosh. No,
1: no, no. It's more like, it's like task completion. So it's like done and dusted, but it's more oh. like you've, 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 um, but it's done with pace and uh, and and maybe some ferocity. So we're going to, we're going to work through this recipe, bish, bash, bosh. Like we're going to get it done. That's kind <laughs> of the vibe. Yeah. <laughs> or or, or we're, ma- we're making decisions today in this meeting, bish,
0: bash, bosh. <laughs> oh my gosh. This is, a great name for the podcast it That will be the backup name but i mean an entire show could be called Fish bash bosh it'd be so fun to say
1: <laughs> i love that vision
0: yes. yeah okay so uh, you see i just love your, your humor you have <laughs> such a light it's so beautiful okay speaking of the rule of yeah. life i triple dog-eared and underlined the commitment that you shared with us in the mm. book and you say rest is necessary rest is a responsibility and i particularly love that you wrote i will know this is a rule when i turn down lucrative opportunities (laughs) to keep my sabbath (laughs) how is that going because in a way i feel we've all had some Uh sort of forced Uh rest but as you and i connected before recording i want so much more rest i'm like deeply tired in my bones from 2020 Mm -hmm. And I wonder how has your relationship to rest evolved but just personally since making this commitment, since the election, the events of last year? Yeah. yeah. Where are you at with it? And have you turned down lucrative opportunities <laughs> to keep your Sabbath?
1: It is it has been my most consistent spiritual practice since 2014 when I started doing it. So for me, you know, I'm 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 not Jewish, but I have many wonderful Jewish friends and mentors. And so I was really inspired by that idea of the, the traditional Jewish Sabbath, you know, where from Friday night until Saturday night there, um, you know, there's this kind of imposed experience of of rest um, and renewal. But for me, the way the way I did it, I, you know, I would um, turn off my laptop, turn off my phone. I would light a little candle and sing myself a, a song from my summer camp growing up, which is like a good night to the sun song. <laughs> and um, it it, it Honestly, still even now feels like a, an experience of kind of walking across a bridge from one way of being. Right, where you, I'm thinking about the to-do list, I'm thinking about this, that, and the other, and crossing that bridge into a time out of time. And Abraham Joshua, Joshua Heschel is a wonderful 20th century Jewish theologian and rabbi writes about the, the Sabbath as a, a palace in time. So you know, and I, I love that image now, especially because we can't move through space as much, but we can move through time. And so in some ways it's become even more important to have some experience of, of that time being different from the rest of the week to get again, give it some structure, but it has changed. You know, For me, usually my life was very, very oriented around other people, lots of travel, lots of meetings, wonderful relationships. And so that kind of 24, 25 hours of Sabbath time was really about stillness and quiet and solo rest and now it's it's kind of different and so i'm i'm trying to lean into more kind of creative practices during my sabbath time so i have a shruti box that i like to sing along to and and to you know do something that i don't do in the rest of the week like like making music but it is yeah it's it's it, what i like about it as well is that it, the rhythm is not every day i think so much of Conversation about, like, what are your daily habits and your power morning? And, you know, uh, like, what's your ice bath at 4 a.m.? You know, it (laughs) it can really go in a direction (laughs) that I'm not that interested
0: in. Miracle morning has become, like, sort of a joke in our house. I mean, all all credit to Hal Elrod, but Michael will just be like, I'm going to pull a Hal. I'm going to be Hal Elrod today. You know, like, it's just. we don't no, really follow that. yeah i love but that. kudos love to anyone who does you're right I mean, there is such a culture though of there's such a culture of ritual for perform for peak totally like meditate so you're more strategic or do totally. these practices so you can
1: crush it well that's that's what what i love so much about the sabbath well now i'm gonna say two things that i love one is that it's once a week right so first of all much more doable but secondly, it's you know this is what Heschel really reframed for me because I always thought about rest, oh, it's important to rest so that you're back stronger, right you're rejuvenated, you're ready, all of that stuff and and Heschel describes the Sabbath as an imposition that it's not there for you to get stronger or better or ready for the work week that the Sabbath is there you know in his theological context for God, and so it's about you honoring that kind of that commandment. And it is, in fact, the the work week that is gearing you up for the Sabbath. So it's a total inversion. It's saying the the point of work is that you can experience the Sabbath, not the other way around. And so that's what I love about that language of, you know, having a taste of heaven and and all of these rituals associated with Sabbath time, like sharing a beautiful meal with the people you love, um, you know, like creativity. Uh, I mean, you're even a a commandment in the (laughs) tradition is that you make love on the Sabbath. So we're, you know, really leaning into all of the good things in life in in that kind of window of time. But it's such a different way around from exactly what you're pointing to, which is kind of performative element around ritual of like, I'm going to do this, I'm going to achieve that. And then I'm going to post about it on Instagram.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, it's, it's, I also underlined in the book, because it's true in my experience as well. You say, indeed, the most spiritually mature people I've met are the least well known. Right. And yes, and and there, what is it? Because as well, the more spiritual I've gotten, the less what Tosha Silver calls doership mm. I have. Like I kind of dropped mm. any attachment to metrics, goals, revenue uh. figures. And there's part of me that I get self-conscious. Well, am I even running a business if I just uh-huh. <laughs> surrender to the whole thing? I just uh-huh. surrender all of it. And I, I'm active and I take action. But it's just so interesting. And I wonder for you, just Mm. that tension because you even how you described email i was like yes this is me (laughs) (laughs) and it's like this desire to get the work out into the world (sighs) yeah you know but also rest and go inward and and just be and it's quite a tension these two things Uh (laughs) uh-huh
1: next question (laughs)
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tommy Casper, I need your answers. <laughs> no,
1: I mean, I, listen, I'm 34, so what do I know? But uh, the the thing that I feel like at this point is, I don't think I'm ever going to solve that tension. I think I'm just that's just always going to be there. Um, and even even in my choice of grad school, I I went to the divinity School, but I also went that to a policy funny. school, right? <laughs> like I I I if it's just the land of spirituality, I can get frustrated because I'm I want to do things, and I and not just in the sense of like I have some sort of addiction to doing things, but I'm like the world is seriously screwed. Like you know, we can't just it spirituality should never be an ethic of escape, right? It should be about an, an engagement and to engage with the world. You do need to do lists and you do need action plans. At least I do. <laughs> so it's it it it's a real tension because I. I can get caught I- at either end and and it's all about finding that integration for me. And I, I think that the final thing on it for me is that I can't do that integration on my own. I really need a community of people around me who even not necessarily that they've figured it out, but just a group of people that that kind of sit with it with me and can recognize the patterns <laughs> and maybe nudge me here and there when I need nudging and receive nudges from me, right? that That sense that It's not something that we can navigate on our own, but we we need others with us.
0: I was going to say, it seems like you've done a really great job of partnering and collaborating that Hmm. You're someone that, it strikes me, you don't actually try to do it all yourself. <laughs> and Oh, God, no. And it's worse fact, when
1: I do it on my own. That Honestly, it's very selfish. The, the thing I'm making is always better when I do it with someone <laughs> else.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's just incredible what you've created through collaboration. And I wanted to ask you, I don't know where I feel... Like you did some work with the On Being project, mm, am I crazy?
1: Mm, yes, yeah. We um, are, are now the organization Sacred Design Lab, which is my two colleagues and I. Um, we we were embedded at On Being for a year. Yeah.
0: Oh my gosh, that's just so cool! It's like that's the you've arrived <laughs> moment as well.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's a wonderful podcast. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and just that whole mission. But I love how you're describing. You know partnering collaboration, but also that we must transcend. It, spirituality should never be an ethic of escape. Mm. So well said. I, I've always found spiritual bypassing to be a very interesting concept mm. because, oh, it's so tempting when you have a lot of connection to spiritual practices oh, yeah. to just say like, turn this thought around, you know, like, oh, I can just think about this differently. Oh, I'm not angry. I can just think about it differently, you know, or, yeah. and, um, that's a tricky one too. have you what's been your relationship to spiritual bypassing? Do you are you tempted to bypass feelings? Or is that something that you didn't run into as much? Like for me, it's been a real exercise. Yeah, yeah. I mean, th- th- there's there's something in,
1: again, the kind of the, the the dominant discourse, shall we say, around ritual is, is that these practices are there to, incre- you know, increase our well being. And in many ways, they do, right? There's all sorts of wonderful uh, scientific studies that that draw on the link between meditation and well-being, for example. Um, but sometimes these practices, these rituals, actually help us encounter suffering. That's the point, and and I think that's that's something that's especially important for people of privilege to lean into. I think it's a different conversation when you're when you're working with people who have significant trauma, for example, because then then there's going to be much more of a focus on healing. But it's it's actually important for us to, to have practices that that I guess maybe to take us back to Richard Braugh, right? That that moment of humility or of encountering suffering or of, of, of sitting with pain or loss or sadness, because there's so much in our culture which is about escaping those feelings, right? And my God, again, reality television and chocolate, like I do it all of the time. And it takes so much courage. And again, I think community to to step into those practices where we where we do encounter, the, the sadness, the loss, the grief, the anger that any human life is is going to throw at us. So yeah, it, it, I I think that's something that's often again lost in that conversation about ritual, but it's it's so important.
0: I really appreciate that perspective and particularly creating the space to experience suffering, as you said, not experience to encounter it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm curious if, what what do you think in terms of that that Question with spiritual bypassing, like how how do you how do you navigate that that question within a broader spiritual life?
0: I think being aware of the propensity to do that because I I think what you said about the dominant modern discourse tends to be about keeping your one's vibration high. And, yeah, yeah. You know, for me, it's. It's recognizing feelings or whatever I'm experiencing. There's a huge part of acceptance and self-compassion. When mm-hmm. I read Marshall Rosenberg's Nonviolent Communication, one of mm-hmm. the things that stuck stuck with me the most was the chapter on how we talk to ourselves. And I realized, oh, my gosh. oh I, I can be yep. so much <laughs> even than I had been on my inner monologue. and. And then for me, it's uh, just not overly attaching as well. And I, I have a my, – my spiritual practice is called eyes on your own paper. Like, Oh, I love that. Yeah. Same old. Well, I notice whenever I'm getting activated by someone else that they're the problem and oh, yeah. can they just fix themselves and they're annoying me or – uh I eat everyone. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I have to go eyes on your own paper. Am I, or when I'm in compare and despair, maybe I'm coveting something that someone has or appears to have. And so whether it's annoyance, um, frustration, anger, uh, some sort of jealousy, envy sort of situation, I go eyes on your own paper. Am I doing what's within my power? Have I exercised today? Am I doing my practices Am I taking responsibility for the things I'm either annoyed by or uh, wish I had, you know, and it's just, it just reminds me whenever my focus is on someone else and a huge part of this credit goes to Byron Katie as well and the work because you kind of turn the thoughts around. So I do do, I will say I do do a lot of work to try to turn thoughts around before I attach to them as the truth, while at the same time, somehow letting the truth of my experience exist as it is. Mm-hmm. And I probably have wow. my, my my anger issue is probably that I don't get angry enough. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, yeah, I yeah. resist feeling that emotion in particular. So I probably bypass the most, but I just go yeah. straight to sadness. I'll just... Yeah. I, I don't really yell. I'll just start I crying.
1: You. I feel you. <laughs> yeah. And that's, I mean, that's so gendered yeah. as well, right? Like there are reasons why yes. why that happens. I want to, I want to share one of my favorite like Please little do. self-talk things that I learned from my very dear friend and mentor, um, Carol Zinn, who is a. Gosh, I don't know exactly her age, but she is a a woman of great wisdom and a Catholic nun who now leads the kind of umbrella organization for all Catholic sisters in the U.S. And she taught me this very, very simple three-word thing that whenever I have a thought about someone else, I have to add just like me. So on the one hand you know, driver, you know, he's, he's so bad at driving just like me, or she's so annoying. Why does she always talk too much? Just like me. But the, the times when it really hits me, is like, he is so hot. Just like me. (laughs) She's so smart. I wish I could write like that. Just like me. So it really gives you this full, uh, you know, full experience and it's, it's just these three little words, but I, I find them so helpful. So if that's uh if that's I'm of yours, I want to share that.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh, that's our homework for anyone listening. We're gonna try just like me. Um for better and for worse. Like I like right? I would never think yeah. to do it of yeah, he's so hot. Oh, just like Right. I would never, I would, ne- <laughs> I would never <laughs> and it will honestly
1: amazing. just crack me up sometimes. Like I'll be on the sub you know, pre COVID, I'll be on the subway and be like, wow that guy's really cool shoes.
0: Just like me. That is <laughs> brilliant. Oh my gosh. I know no better place to practice than the greater New York City. For real. <laughs> you know, okay. So then I'll share my fortune cookie phrase that I learned yes. from Tosha Silver, who I've mentioned many times. Have you read Outrageous mm-hmm. Openness, Casper? I have not. I need to put must, that on my list straight must. away. Yes, okay. that's your homework. Great. Okay, so she says that Often we get very stressed in our lives. And you know, the fortune cookie that when we we're teenagers used to add in bed, like you will have wealth in <laughs> <Yes>. bed. Okay. <laughs> well, hers that she adds is with God or without God. So it's like, huh. oh, I just don't know how I'm going to pay my rent without God. Oh, wow. And so she'll, 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 that's her way. And for her, God, she's very universal in yes. terms of. All yeah. the deities, all the gods, anything, the, the divine, you know, is welcome. She wears a necklace for so many different uh, spiritual figures. I love but, it. Yeah. So this thing of if you just append to any stressful thought and you say without God, it's like, well, yeah, you don't have to do it alone. You mm-hmm. can invite guidance. You can ask for next steps. You. Mm-hmm. So, yes, it is going to be impossible to move this boulder without God. And that's what she appends. To every I like that. And mm-hmm. it's,
1: it's, it's interesting to me, especially because, you know, in, in my work over the last, gosh, at this point, five, six years, I've spent so much time thinking about the the practices of religion, right? The rituals, the spiritual disciplines, the practices. And, and I've really downplayed the role of belief or, or, or theological ideas, particularly the role of God, because I often think that's the question. America is obsessed with when we think about religion. It, the question is always like, "Do you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior?" Right, like this kind of Christian hegemonic, <laughs> kind of imperialist t- tone, which 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 is so not the reality even within Christianity, I would say, uh, uh, certainly beyond Protestantism, but also just when you look at religions around the world, you know, beyond Christianity, the the centrality of belief is absolutely not the case. So much more is about what you practice. You know, do you venerate elders? Do you like candles? Do you eat this kind of way? Do you go on this kind of pilgrimage? But having said all of that, I'm noticing my own interest now is actually heading more towards those kind of theological ideas and questions. And like, what is the role of belief alongside these practices? So I, l- I like that practice that you shared, because it it kind of opens up that question every time of like, well, what does it mean to be with God when you're looking at a, you know, a debt that you can't pay? Like, really, what does that mean? I don't know. But I want, I want mm. to think much more about that.
0: Yeah. And what does it mean to call on something bigger, even if you don't know what it is? Yes. Mystery, yes. as in seminary, they'll often refer to it as mystery, capital M. Yeah, yeah the, exactly. Mm-hmm. I've started
1: to think that, that the idea of God might be as just as powerful as the actuality of God. Like that's something I, I keep encountering in my own thoughts. It's like, does it does it even matter if
0: it's real? Right. You know what I mean. Have you um, have you read a book called Agnostic? Uh, not, not that I can remember. It's that, so no. good. Okay, you're getting all the homework from this. I'm one. getting all the homework. <laughs> I love this journey. It's beautiful. What I love about the book, Agnostic, because it moved me so much when I read it, because Mm. it's all about embracing mystery. And Mm. if anything, the book is a study of mystery. And just saying Mm. there are many people who consider themselves agnostic only to the extent that they don't know what they don't know. Yes, They're willing to live in the mystery. And it doesn't mean that they're cold, hard atheists, which I was. If anything, I was more atheist than anything else before I encountered Buddhism and Taoism. Yes have evolved now into a deeply spiritual place, but it never, for me, it never came under the organized religion umbrella. And yeah. I, 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 as well, I was going to church with my husband, Michael, and they handed me mm. a flyer that said, you can only be saved through Jesus Christ. And yeah. I understand that's part of their belief system, but I felt when you say that to me it doesn't welcome me in it it doesn't um so anyway that's a whole nother tangent but the Mm. book agnostic is very beautiful for just living in the mystery and opening to something bigger without knowing what it is or even what to call it Mm. i just
1: you know that that's revealed in the data as well you know at this point 40 percent of our generation, of the millennials in the US are now unaffiliated. But it really doesn't mean that that's the number who are, as you said, like hardened atheists. It's a much, much smaller percentage. And there's this growing number of people, you know, I think both of us included, who are not ready to let go of this whole part of the human experience, but also unsatisfied by what institutional religious life looks like. um, Because it doesn't reflect our reality whether you grew up in a mixed faith household you're in an interfaith marriage if you're you know spiritual but not religious whatever it is um you're drawing on multiple traditions in some way it, for me that's one of the biggest kind of design tasks that's before us is what will it look like to construct unity of relationship in the context of diversity of practice belief and even perhaps geographic location so going back to those kind of new technologies that are enabling communities to exist from afar, but with real stakes, you know, with with real help and with real relationships at the center. That's one of the things I'm I'm most excited to see what what will happen in the in the coming decades.
0: Well, I'm excited to read your future brilliant books on these subjects. And likewise. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so happy that you're the one tackling these big, beautiful questions. Casper, if you could give listeners permission to do or drop one thing, what would it be?
1: Oh, my goodness. Try, like, try turning off your phone and your laptop for a day. And with the final word of encouragement on that, you know, Jewish tradition celebrates the Sabbath for 25 hours because it's so delightful that you just want one extra hour on top of the full day. So I, I give you full permission to just not answer the phone or respond to an email for those 25 hours.
0: I. <laughs> Love it. Isn't it so freeing? Like there are days um, I don't check my email and I feel so bad. I'm like, I'm being very bad right now. <laughs>
1: Honestly, <laughs> I come back to it and I'm like, nothing happened. Yeah. Like, n- you know, was there not fine. a major, right? Like everything, you didn't need me. What? Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's very helpful. <laughs> totally.
0: Casper, this has been so wonderful. We didn't even talk about your Ritual Life Planner collab with Holste, but the video of you opening the package up is just so delightful. <laughs> is there anywhere you want to send <laughs> listeners? It's beautiful. And this, is, maybe tell us a little bit about the Ritual Life Planner, just so we listeners can get a sneak peek
1: absolutely well it's, it's a wonderful tool that you can do at home by yourself or with a partner with your family um that will help you notice what rituals are important to you through the calendar year so Are there moments like watching the Oscars or the New York marathon or, you know, carving Halloween pumpkins or celebrating Christmas or Hanukkah, whatever it is, Um, noticing those kind of ritual moments that are important in your life specifically, and then just taking you through a little process and putting them onto a big ritual calendar planner that you can use to, to start thinking about either hosting something or celebrating something in a specific way. So it's it's a way of marking time that, especially this year, I think a lot of us need something to look forward to. Um, so I've already started planning
0: my May Day (laughs) maple dance. I love it, Um,
1: and it's cyclical.
0: I love that the 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 planner itself is a circle. There's a poster that's a giant circle, which is so beautiful. Thinking about our year that way.
1: Well, it's such a different way of engaging with time, exactly. So we're not just in a linear progression, right? Everything in our culture is so oriented around progress and, and always improving. And I think that's what I love about the idea of a liturgical calendar or a ritual calendar is that it's always returning. It's always returning. It's always cyclical. Um, and so, that you know, Joan Chichester describes it as a process of spiritual ripening, of, of mm. living through those rituals over and over again. So I, I love that image.
0: Yeah. And as it's snowing for both of us on the East Coast, also the book Wintering is so oh, yes. exquisite for this notion that, wintering is a season of our life it's like a time of dropping a lot of things and Uh expectations of ourselves Mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll throw that into our epic book mo- from this yeah, conversation I feel moved to
1: say amen. <laughs>
0: <Yes>. <laughs> oh my goodness, Casper. Well, amen to you. Thank you for everything. And this, this interview listeners was like long awaited because for a variety of reasons, we've rescheduled a couple of times and oh, it's just always perfectly timed. If you don't already have a copy of Casper's book, check out the power of ritual and you can go to holstead.com to get the ritual life planner. Casper's website is CasperTK.com. What else? We can send them Harry Potter and the Sacred Test text wherever you listen to podcasts. You'll,
1: you'll find your way around with all of that. That's yes more than enough. The Casper <laughs>
0: rabbit hole of glee. Yes. <laughs> Thank Am you I so much for anything?
1: having me, Jenny. No, that's wonderful.
0: <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Casper. Thanks everybody for listening.